Um, as we begin, let me ask you a question. Have you ever fallen out with a pastor? Have you ever fallen out with a pastor? Uh, have you ever gotten so fed up of a message that was preached to you that you resented them? Maybe don't answer that. Or maybe you should. Uh, what about this? Have you ever fallen out with an apostle? Huh? What? <laughs> I've never met one. How would I know? What, what on earth are you on about? Well, think about this. About nine months ago at Grace Church, Steve was preaching through a book called One Peter and Two Peter. And there was a lot of stuff in there about suffering persecution. I wonder, did you get fed up? Peter, I have had enough of you. Seriously, I mean, come on, Peter, should the Christian life be like this? Is it really supposed to be hard if we got God? Maybe you haven't thought like that. Maybe you haven't resented the apostle. But let me ask you this. If someone had asked you recently or indeed in the last year um, how things are going in your Christian life, how things are going at the church, I wonder how you would have answered Here's how I want to answer. Grace Church? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't believe how well it's going. The live stream. Last week, we had 29,000 viewers on our YouTube channel. Hardly anyone in Ride missed it. And Grace Church, well, yeah, there's a podcast too. We have those podcasts. And, well, we get millions of downloads in America before, on the day it comes out. It's like, wow. And, you know, we're, building a, we're buying a stadium because, you know, that's how well everything is going. And the finances are going so well, well, we're going to start 10 new ministries next week. And, well, you know, the Christian life, how's it going? Well, you know, I don't need to really tell anyone about Jesus because everyone just comes to me, finds out I'm a Christian, and they just say, well, can I come to your church, please? It's easy. It's a doddle. Everything is going brilliantly. I think that's how I want to answer the question. Just talk about success. And there have been encouragements, haven't there, at, at Grace Church. But there have been struggles too. I haven't wanted to talk about the struggles to reach out during COVID when doors have been shut. I haven't wanted to talk about the people I have failed to care for. I haven't wanted to talk about the opportunities to speak of Jesus that I've just botched. I haven't wanted to talk about those invitations. I'll come to church. They've just been ignored. You see, whether I resent the apostles' teaching in the scriptures or whether I notice a subconscious love of success, we're in the same place, aren't we? We find the ministry that we see in the scriptures, we find it a little bit bruising. We find it frustrating. And that's where we are. That's why we're in 2 Corinthians this morning. The church in Corinth are feeling bruised. The stuff hasn't gone well with them and Paul. Um, and now there are these new guys in town, these super apostles, and they come looking so gifted. In fact, they seem like God's gift. And they say the Christian life should come with success and power and performance and results. They say Christianity should look outwardly impressive. I expect you know the sort of people I'm talking about. And it's appealing. I mean, why wouldn't it be? But the situation is more sinister than this, isn't it? You see, lose... Paul and his ministry, well, you'll lose his Jesus. 
lose Paul and the Christian life he's talking about, well, you'll lose his good news message, his gospel. It's actually a big deal. So this morning, are you tempted towards a Christian life that's outwardly successful? Are you feeling bruised and frustrated? Would you, would you like something that just seems touchy-feely better? Do you see in your heart a preference for successful appearances? Well, if that's you, if you're bruised and hurting and frustrated by the Christian life, well, notice what happens in this chapter. Paul is going to take this church from bruised to blessing, from resentment to rejoicing, and from rejection of Paul to prayer for him and renewed dependence on God. Now, how on earth does something like that happen? I mean, how do we go from bruised to praying? That just sounds miraculous, doesn't it? Well, three things we're going to see this morning of how this change happens. First one is this, the authority of the apostle. Firstly, we see the authority of the apostle. Look at verses one and two. Now, if you're used to looking at these, uh, these letters, you're pretty familiar with these kind of greetings. And you go, oh, yeah, okay, a letter from Paul to Corinth. Yeah, it looks kind of, kind of normal. But look more closely at these words and you notice authority. Here is a letter from Paul who calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is someone commissioned, an authoritative representative. More than that, an apostle is someone, here's the technical sense of the word, is someone who's seen Jesus risen from the dead. Here's someone writing and, well, imagine this. Imagine you'd met the risen Lord Jesus and he gave you a job to do. You'd feel a sense of authority with that, wouldn't you? And here's Paul saying, that, that's, that's me, that's, I'm writing to you, that's, that's where it's coming from. But notice here that he isn't just an, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You see, he's called by the Son of God according to the will of God the Father. From the control center of the universe, from the heavenly throne, Paul is sent. You can't help but notice the authority, can you? He was set apart on the Damascus Road. Read the book of Acts to find out more about that. But it all happened according to the will of God. You're not going to argue with that, are you? Do you feel maybe we ought to listen to this guy? <laughs> and he mentions his letter uh, that it's sent by Timothy as well. We don't know why Paul throws in Timothy as his co-sender of the letter, but they've got shared history. You see, whatever Corinth feel about Paul, however bruised they're feeling about things, they can't simply ignore him. They've got a brother in common, Timothy, our brother. They've got history. Paul has grounds to speak to them. He's got authority. They can't ignore him. Authority. But then notice how he speaks of them. The Corinthians are a church of God. They are a work of God. Maybe they're thinking, you know, super apostles turn up, shiny suits, very flashy. They're the real church of God. And we're, maybe we're not a church. Well, Paul goes, uh, no, <laughs> you are. You are the church of God. You are the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. You are saints, people made special by just simply being called to love and know Jesus Christ. You are, you are a church and you're part of something so much bigger. Did you notice? Um, how he speaks of them and their influence to all the churches in Achaia. You know, that's who. Here is a church that God is going to use in his plans and in his purposes. There's, there's authority here. God's apostle calling God's people. And notice the greeting too. Grace and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, grace and peace are needed, aren't they, for every Christian <laughs> and for this church too. And he, and he reminds them, doesn't he, grace and peace come from God, not from celebrities. Paul means for them to know that he means the very best for them. He means their blessing. And so that comes with authority. Authority, authority. The Corinthians who are a bit upset, a bit resentful of Paul, maybe as this letter is read for the first time in church and everyone's expectantly wondering what they're going to say, they're kind of looking at their feet, feeling a bit shifty. Uh, fed up of you, Paul. But now they're reminded they're, they're called, they're addressed by one who's commissioned by God himself and by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It seems so obvious now, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> do you listen to the internet advert with the Get Rich scheme? Uh, no, you don't, do you? You talk to a financial planner who has some authority on these matters. Do you speak to the guy who knocks on your door and says, I'll retarm at your drive? Looks very flashy, talks a good game. No, you don't, do you? You go and ask around and get some good references. Now, it's, it's easy from here, isn't it, to say, um, <laughs> to say I shouldn't look at those things. But the truth is, we're impressed by the cool and successful, aren't we? And I feel burdened by this myself this morning because I love a good idea. I love something exciting and new. How easy it can be to think, oh, church life isn't working like this. I'll just change it for something more polished. But notice here, Paul says it's not about appearances. It's about authority. Is what I'm attracted to, does it come from God? Does it come from the foundation of the apostles' teaching in the Bible? That's what matters more than appearances, isn't it? So... Paul's got this resentful church and they're looking at their feet and maybe now they're starting to want to hear what Paul's got to say. And I, and I hope that's where we are this morning. But what's going to come next? I don't know about you, but if anyone lays authority down on me, I immediately think, oh, I'm about to get told off. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to give me one now. But what comes next is not that, is it? Look what comes next. How does Paul get us from, from bruise to blessing, from rejecting Paul to praying for him? Well, next we see praise. Praise to the God of comfort in affliction. Look at verses 3 to 7. And look particularly here at verse 3. Paul is praising. Listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Here's this bruised church, and they start looking up at Paul. But do they find Paul looking at them sternly? No, they don't. Where, where, what's Paul doing? He's on his knees. He's praising God. Blessed be, praise be God, the God of all comfort. He's joining with the chorus of the whole of the Bible. How many times have we heard it in the Bible? Praise the God who delivered us from death in Egypt. Praise the God who rescued King David, from all his enemies, praise the God who rescued us from the fiery furnace. If anything, we're drawn into this song, aren't we? Praise be God. And Paul says, look, that God is the God of all comfort. He is the father of mercies. Do you hear it? There is no such thing as mercies without him. There is no comfort in the whole of the world that doesn't belong to him. Notice the comprehensiveness of it all. I don't know about you, but I sometimes think with God, like uh, 
Like I'm going to the shop and I'll be in need of comfort. And it'll be like God will say to me, uh, sorry, we don't have it in your size today. We've, we've run out of that one. Well, notice here, look, God is the God of all comfort, all of it. It all belongs to him. And he comforts us in all of our affliction. And is he withholding it back? No, it overlaps perfectly. He has comfort to meet any of our afflictions and all of them. And so Paul says, God is to be praised. You wouldn't have thought that if you listened to the super apostles. You wouldn't have thought there should be any affliction, any suffering. God, he's supposed to be the God not so much of comfort. He's supposed to be the God of comfortable. Not comfort in affliction, so much as no affliction to begin with. See, there's an issue for us, isn't it? You see, we want the gift of the comfortable life without the God of comfort in affliction. We would rather be comfortable. But Paul praises the God of comfort in affliction, just as all the saints of old did. Because this is what God has always been doing. He is not the God of comfortable. He is not the God of safe. He is the God of comfort in affliction, using it for his glory. See, this is the marvel. One day God will deliver, finally, completely. But until that day, he will strengthen us and comfort us. You see, the comfort here, I think we think it's like this. I think we think this passage is saying comfort, yet God will give you a blanket. Uh, comfort, he'll, he'll give you a tranquilizer. I think that's what we think he's saying. But the word here is not so much that. The word here is about strength. You see, the comfort is more like an energy drink than it is a comfort blanket. It is strengthening. God strengthens us and encourages us in all our affliction. He strengthens us with the comfort of Christ. He gives us strength and he transforms our, our, our struggles into something and makes it useful. He makes it part of something bigger, something beautiful. I mean, look at verse 4. This comfort comes so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Look at this. Paul is saying here, praise God. He's the God of all comfort. But he's also the God who gives me that comfort that I might use it for others to strengthen them too. Praise God that my struggles, my afflictions, when I get battered down for living for Christ, praise God that he transforms that and he uses it to his glory. Our God generously comforts us and then means for us generously to share that comfort with others. Do you see this praise starting to heal the bruises and the resentment of when Christian life is hard? Because we can praise God for our, our afflictions. He's doing something with them, and he's comforting us in them. We're not people who are to brush the pain under the carpet. That terrible conversation you had with Susan last week, where she's given you the cold shoulder ever since. We're not to be a people who brush that pain under the carpet as if it never happened. And when we're feeling that hurt, perhaps, of folk who've walked away from church throughout COVID... And just disappeared and we felt hurt and we just don't really talk about it. It's not to be hairbrushed out. It's not to be forgotten and not mentioned because in our affliction, God promises us that we will know strengthening. 
we will receive it. And, those, and that strength is to be shared. And you say, well, come on, really? Does God really mean for me to share the, the strength I've received in his word? Well, look at verse 5. Look how Paul grounds this idea. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. See, here's the thing. Paul knows that if you align yourself with a crucified saviour, you get in line to be crucified. If you align yourself with our rejected king, well, then you'll face rejection too. Christ's sufferings, in that sense, sort of overflow to us as well. He knows that personally from when he was persecuting the church. The Lord Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? My people, you're persecuting me. We're aligned, we're united to Christ in his sufferings. But even as we share abundantly, In Christ's afflictions, in his rejection, we also get the overflow of Christ's comfort. You see, the strength that the Lord Jesus Christ had to go to the cross, imagine what strength that would have required. God gave it. All of the hope in God, all of the resting in God for deliverance, all of the resting in him for resurrection hope, that all comes to us too. If you're suffering with Jesus, you will be comforted with Jesus too. Praise God. And by the way, doesn't that mean that we can really go for it in the Christian life? Every knockback will be met with strength. The same strength that Jesus was given. We won't be sold short. And Paul intends to draw this truth out even more. We're united with Christ and so we're united with each other too. Look at this, this inference that he makes in verse 6. He says, if we're afflicted... And Paul is afflicted, isn't he? It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. How glorious. How praiseworthy. That united to the Lord Jesus, we share in his comfort. But how glorious that God means for us to share that comfort together. You see, together we're the bride of Christ. What is given to me is not for me only. The comfort I receive isn't for me only. It's to be shared. You see, the struggles and the affliction and the brother and sister who's drawn almost to the end, well, that experience and the comfort they get is meant to strengthen the rest of us. You see, weak ministry isn't to be resented. It's to be a cause of rejoicing because look at the reassurance it provides as well. Look at verse 7. Paul concludes his prayer like this. He says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul concludes his prayer to say, the thing that you find off-putting, the frustration, well, it's the very evidence of God's work in you. It's actually a mark of God's inbreaking into the world. You see, the sufferings that belong to me are the sufferings of Christ. We're being treated the same way as the king. He really has broken in. And when he gives that comfort, well, you're sharing in his comfort too, do you see? You're part of the new kingdom. You're part of his work. Don't be attracted by the super apostles. Don't be focused on the gift of comfort and the comfortable life, but on the giver of comfort in affliction. Don't waste your suffering. 
But share the comforts you're given. Rejoice in affliction and comfort. Don't despise it. So let me encourage us as a church family. Can we push each other on to look at our failures and weakness? Not do the brush, brush, rug, rug, under, under, forget, forget thing. Can you speak of those things that are just so painful and difficult? Where you've known rejection for Christ. And can you speak of the comfort that you've known and and share it? How God's spoken to you in his word, reminded you of his promises, sustained you in affliction. Can you actively look for those who are discouraged in the church? And when you find them and you seek to bring the Lord's comfort, what are you going to say to them? Are you going to say to them, oh, no, it's not so bad at the moment, really, is is it? Look at all the things that are going well. Are you going to say that to them? Might I encourage you to say something else? Yes, it is going badly. Yes, there are struggles. Yes, there is failure and weakness. Let me tell you about some of mine. But look how the Lord strengthened me. Can I share this with you? So here's this church feeling bruised and being taken to rejoicing and prayer. We've seen authority. We've seen praise. Lastly, we see hope. Paul shows us that we can find hope as we depend on God's. Now, Paul's um, been praising God for the comfort that he's known in affliction, but he hasn't told us anything about that. And he's also said this Corinthian church, they're going to receive the comfort. I've been afflicted and comforted, and it's for your good. Well, what is it, Paul? What is this comfort? Do, do tell us. Okay, hold your breath. Here it is. Verse 8. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And you go, oh, wow, okay, not, not so encouraging. You despair, you basically feel like you might as well have died. Uh, okay, sorry, sorry about that. Not the comfort we were looking for. And what we want to say is, I'm sorry, Paul, to have heard about that. I heard there were riots in Asia, in Ephesus, and I can't, you got caught up in it. Violence, mob stuff. Um, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry. Did you end up in prison? Kind of sounds like you did. Um, oh, gosh, and maybe you were trying to get out of that and you refused, and so now you feel like you're under the sentence of death. And Oh, how awful. That's how we want to respond, isn't it? But look at what Paul says. Look at his testimony here. Look at verse 9. He continues. But that wasn't to be resented. That wasn't to be despised. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul says, look, you might have thought that affliction was bad. Your super apostles think it was bad. I tell you what, they have got it wrong. Because God was getting rid of our self-dependence. He was getting rid of all of our self-reliance. God left us With nothing, he took away all our hope and our power and our wits and our resources. We couldn't trust in any of those things. All we could do was trust in him. And when we thought we were dead, we were reminded that God raises the dead. He's the only one who does. And so we prayed. And what does he say? God delivered us. He might might be talking about his confidence in that final rescue. But I think he's talking about the fact that... (laughs) He was delivered. That moment of death passed. 
And look at Paul's just resolute confidence here. God delivers. He delivered us. He strengthened us. And maybe he's still in danger because he says, look, will you pray for me? I'm confident in God's future deliverance. Look at verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see the thing here. (laughs) Authority, praise, hope. God wants us to depend on him. Think of it this way. If the Christian life came through smoke machines, if it came through glossy presentation, if it came from impressive oratory and rhetoric, who would get the praise? Man would. But God works in affliction so that he gets the glory. Do you see, Corinthians? Do you see, Grace Church? Don't listen to the super apostles. The smooth ones. They would have you rely on yourself. They would have you rely on human giftedness, but God works in weakness and hope comes as we rely on him. He is the one who raises the dead. He is the one who delivers and he will provide you strength just when you need it. Jesus called the church, didn't he, to come and die. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Now, the Christian faith, the Christian movement should have been the shortest lived movement in the whole of history shouldn't it come and die should have just disappeared shouldn't it and in the early centuries under the oppression of roman emperors like nero and diocletian christian church should have been wiped out and indeed some were many were martyred but here's what happened some were martyred and the rest of the church went they're living for god that's what we're called to come and die i'm a christian i'm a christian They were strengthened in their faith. And they said, I'll get in the queue. Martyring for Christ. Yeah, all right then. The church didn't die. It was strengthened. And not only that, the church was delivered, you see. Come and die turned out to be life and growth. And here we are today. It is what God is doing. He is the God who works comfort in affliction. He is the God who takes death and turns it into resurrection life. Hope comes as we depend on God. We're not supposed to rely on ourselves. We're not to think, oh, I wish it wasn't so hard. We're supposed to trust God that it is hard, but that he'll get all the glory. And as Christians, we might find ourselves thinking, oh, I wish I I should just change things. Uh, Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be better if I was a bit more like the world? Uh, What if I took out the offensive things? What if I changed the message? What if I went with some worldly tactics? Maybe people would like Jesus more then. What if we thought about comfort? Well, we'd be forgetting about the God of comfort in affliction, wouldn't we? The God who transforms, the God who works in the darkest moments to bring life and bring his power to bear. You see, when we get like that, it's where we should have been in desperate dependence on God. Well, our our Christian life then becomes turned into subtle self-reliance. But what must we do? Authority. Have our convictions formed by God. Not, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But how can I be faithful to God? What's he called us to? Praise. Here's how God works. He comforts me. 
so I can comfort others. He's doing something far bigger than I realize in my affliction. Praise him, as all the saints of old have done. And trust him, and not performance, and not celebrities, because that's what he means for us to do. And that is where there is hope, because one day he will finally and fully deliver. And on the way, there will be loads of little deliverances. (laughs) So that all the praise and all the glory goes to him. We don't resent in affliction, but we rejoice in them. And when we are weak, we pray, we depend on God. Well, what might this mean for us in the days ahead? I hope it will mean a change in our relationship with God. I hope it will mean a deeper relationship with him. I hope that. I hope it will get us looking at our failures and our hardships differently. I hope it will start to get us talking about them. I hope it will give us another person-centered mindedness that... God's done something in my life. And it's not just for me. It's for my brothers and sisters. That comforts for them too. I hope it will get us to see that our afflictions, our struggles, they really are out of our hands. And that's a good thing. Because then we can depend on God. We can pray and there can be rejoicing and thanksgiving on the faces of many. From resentment to rejoicing, from bruising to prayer. I hope this will be us. I think it's a a great moment for us to be considering these truths in 2 Corinthians as we sort of muddle through in this crazy time we're in. What are we going to be all about? Success? Or weakness and failure? That depends on God and goes to his glory. Might it be that we find it to be the case that we find joy as we rely in the one who raises the dead? As one person has said, how completely satisfying it is to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Might that be us? Shall we pray? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of comfort in affliction. We thank you that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. And we praise you that you are doing something bigger in our struggles than we realize and might we be a church that shares the comfort that you have given for we ask it in jesus name amen